Hi, guys. Before we start the episode, check out my upcoming tour dates at jessicacurson.com. You can follow me personally at Jesse Curson on Instagram and Jessica Curson on Twitter. Follow the podcast at Relatively Sane Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And join our discussion group on Facebook at Relatively Sane Podcast. And if you're listening and you love the podcast, which I know you will, please give us a five-star rating and review telling us what you love about it. Thank you so much for your support. You guys are the best. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Relatively Sane. I hate saying that in the beginning, but I guess I have to to introduce the whole thing. I'm so excited for my uh, guest today. My guest is Lisa Lampanelli. I, I'm, oh boy, I respect this woman so much. When I first started, she used to take me on the road with her and take me to all these gigs. It's so fascinating. She had a shit car. I mean, it was a disaster. And we would drive all over, and I wouldn't make any money, of course, but I'd get like a free chicken leg for performing. One time I went to Connecticut with her. I'll never forget this with a couple of other comics. She drove us there. She always helped people. That's, I mean, I, I really do try to help people too. So I, I just respect her so much for that. And we drove to Connecticut and she used to do, you know, a lot of crowd work. And it was about people in the audience and the old guy and the black woman and the Asian guy. So that we went to this bar and it was like just four white people in the audience. So she asked the comics to all be a different person. Like, I think I was the gay man. And she just tried out material on me, and I pretended like I was a gay man. I mean, you, it's, to do this now would not work. You know, things have changed quick. I mean, I was thinking about it the other day. Like, jokes I did five years ago, I could never do now. I can't wait to talk to her about this because her stuff was always edgy, and she always was fearless to me. I mean, she would say things that I would never have the guts to say. I can honestly say that, that I respect her so much for just being free and saying whatever she wants. So she's not doing stand-up anymore, but she's doing a lot of other stuff. And it's also fascinating to me that she did it. She got huge, made a ton of money, and stopped. And... You know, we've talked a little bit. It's very hard to work on yourself and try to be happy and have balance in your life and be at peace and then also do stand-up. It is really hard for me. I'm, I'm struggling with that. So I just think what she is doing now is fascinating. And, you know, I just, it's, I used to listen to her a lot, like when we would talk about, you know, advice that she had and suggestions for me because she really she did it like she made it as a comic one out of a hundred people not even one out of a thousand make it to her level and uh she did it and it's just incredible to me it really is she's such a caring beautiful person and you know people think they know you when you're an artist from your art but there's so much more to us the my persona on stage is a part of me but it's not all of me. I think sometimes people see me on stage and they're like, oh my God, she's so confident. She's so okay with herself. And then when I say I'm depressed, they're like, really? I would never think that. I'm like, why do you think I'm standing here? This is not normal. You have to be depressed to do this. 
So I'm just really excited for you guys to get to know Lisa even better. And uh, thank you so much for listening. And here is Lisa Lampanelli. Hi, Lisa. Oh, my God. I'm literally pulling over right now. Oh, my God. You're in a car? Yeah, here I'm pulling over right now. Where are you pulling into? I'm on Combo Beach at Westport. (laughs) I didn't know if you were pulling into like a Home Depot or something. No, why? I'm not a lesbian. Oh, my God, Lisa, I can't deal with you. You know how you lesbians enjoy the lumber. I don't because I'm a Jewish lesbian and I'm more on the feminine side, so I can't build a fucking thing. Listen, I've dealt with you. I wouldn't call you feminine by any stretch. Oh, my God. Lisa, don't tell everyone on the podcast what's (laughs) happened between us. (laughs) You wish. You wish you could get some of this pee. (laughs) If you were going to be with a woman, what would they be like? (sighs) Probably have a dick. (laughs) Actually, you know what? I see these older couples, these lesbians who become, these straighties who become like disenchanted with men, like Meredith Baxter and Elizabeth Gilbert, and they all decide to lick it. And I'm like, (laughs) anytime I see someone who I kind of admire as a couple, one of them is super butch and one of them is super femme. So I'm like, just be with a dude and shut up about it. Well, it's funny you say that because... I'm not attracted to very butchy women. I mean, I I can find them attractive, but I would never want to be with someone who's very, very butchy. Right. Um, But I I get why, but I just, then I just want someone who has a dick, like you're saying. Right. Well, the thing is, what I like is you're not attracted to very butchy women, so that's why it would never work out between me and you. (laughs) Because you're a very butchy woman. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I'm essentially a gay man. That's what I think you are. figured out. You really are. I like men, but I don't... Well, but then again, gay men are always horny, and I'm not anymore. Yeah, me so either. I think I'm just an asexual person who just doesn't need a vag or a, a penis. I just need to sit there and be left alone. <laughs> you need your dog. That's it. All I need is Parker in my life. That's it. Yeah, I got to meet Parker. Oh, he's such a good boy. This is the thing. Here's what happened, though. Here's the problem with me. I go and I adopt this dog, and he Mm. makes me open up to other dogs because my heart has a crack open in it. Then I open up to kids and people, and now I'm just super nice and don't even have to do comedy anymore. I'm totally healed. That's what I'm dying for. First of all, my podcast is called Relatively Sane, um, and it's really, you're such, you're obviously the perfect person for me to talk to. Because you're honest and you're so in touch with your feelings. But I would love you to talk about why you're not doing stand-up anymore, because I think it's fascinating. You mean with all the wonderful, good energy and non-toxic people (laughs) in the business? Just kidding. Um, (laughs) No, honestly, I've spoken to you and I've told you the truth about this. And and honestly, it just didn't have the joy anymore that mm-hmm. it used to have. Like, remember when we were open micing and it would be like just so much fun to run around and write a neat joke and it was so cute. Mm-hmm. Like, everything was cute, you know? And you'd decide what to wear that night. Right. And then after 30 years, it becomes just like any other job, I would think. Mm-hmm. But it didn't have the passion or the joy. And I was like, well, let me get out before I hate it. 
Because I think the worst thing wow. is staying in it until you resent it and then you hate it. And you can't even be grateful for the gifts it gave you at all. Right. So I was like, I love taking workshops. I'm always being, I've always been told like, oh my God, you should lead workshops. You should help people work on their food and body image stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. And um, there's nothing I miss less than comedy. It's very weird. That's it's so weird cool. to me because you were... You know, I am, too. You were an animal. Like, you were on stage constantly and worked your ass off. Yeah, but I did notice, though, Mm -hmm. after I started playing theaters, I wasn't the person who would go to comedy clubs and try material. Yeah, I'd always do it the two days a week. So I think that was the first sign that I don't love this. I like it. It's not miserable at all. But the rest of the week, I wouldn't have a compulsion to do it ever. So there are those comics who are in the clubs every night, honing bits and all that. And that's another level of neuroses altogether. Like mm-hmm. one or the other isn't great. Yes. A balance is great, which I never had. And then it's like, okay, so I don't love this. I'm not going to be the person who stays in it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, honestly, I told Dr. Drew this, and I think I'm right. I don't think I was ever a comedian. Mm-hmm. I think I was trying to connect somehow and use comedy as the tool. So now that I'm doing life coaching and workshops and storytelling and stuff, I'm still connecting, yes. but it's a different tool. So that's why a lot of the comics, I think, were mean to me and were not necessarily thinking I was a, the purest comic in the world because I think they sense that, hmm, mm-hmm. she's kind of doing this, but it's not where her heart is. Do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. I'm having a hard time with it. I'm not enjoying it at all for a while now. Mm. And it's upsetting. Well, well, it's very depressing. Well, yeah, it's depressing if you don't do something about it. So is there any way, to, do you see any light at the end of the tunnel? Like how to either make it better or get out? Well, I think I need to work on personal stuff and stop being uh-huh. so miserable. I mean, I really, I, I take huge responsibility for my shit. I don't blame other yeah. people, you know. And I have definitely been lazy with self-care. We talked about it. And I don't do a lot of the things. But it's getting old. With me, it's getting old. It's like, this is ridiculous. You're you're getting sick of the sound of your own voice. I am. So me too. I was like exactly that way. Because I was like, I'd look at the calendar on Thursday and go, ugh, I got to pack for whatever place I'm going. Gross. And then I'd be like, ew, I have to now go. And it'd be like five of eight. And I'd look at my opening act and go, yeah. Like, what do I do? I don't even remember what I do. Like, what do I say when I go up there? That's exactly how I feel. It's just noticing when you're not happy with something and doing something about it. But, yeah, I got sick of the the sound of my own voice being, oh, what am I doing again? Why do I want to go to dinner with family instead of do this? You know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it is kind of going, oh good now I'm sick of it so I'm gonna work on it well what made you like what what can you tell people about making a change like taking action it's one thing to talk about stuff constantly which I can for years right but how do you force yourself to take action with something you don't have to force yourself it just happens when you know you have to so in my gut I knew it and so I always have to act on it and be brave when I know it so when mm-hmm. I know it I know it in other words when I knew my marriage wasn't right, mm-hmm. it took me a few years. I complained about it for a long time. And then I go, okay, this is it. And I knew 
when it's inarguable that I'm making the right decision. Mm -hmm. So when I told my ex-husband Jimmy that I wanted a divorce, it was so inarguably in my body and head and heart Mm -hmm. that no one could talk me out of it. No marriage counselor, not him. I was like, no, I know this for a fact. Mm -hmm. So when I got out of comedy, it was like, I know for a fact I don't love this, so I'm getting out. And I did all the responsible things. You know, I went and I made sure I, you know, had enough money and I could uh, pay my bills and all that. But then I also, with fear, I always tell the people I coach, I always say, what's the worst that can happen? And then you do it anyway. So, oh, Mm -hmm. I have to downsize. So what? Isn't it better than going to a job I hate all the time? Right. You know, oh, so I might have to move in with my mother if things get super desperate. Okay. Well, is it better than the job I hate? Right. So, I think a lot of people just get hung up on the fear instead of just going, nothing really bad can happen to us. We're not going to be homeless. And if we are, then we've done something else we need to repair uh, financially or whatever first. And then go, okay, so I'm just going to take a little step and then the big leap. I I think if you can't take the big big leap, you take a little steps first. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I totally agree with that. I mean, did you, did you, were you always, like, did you suffer, what's your thing? Is it depression or anxiety or? No, I think I always had like a low level depression, Mm -hmm. but nothing debilitating, thank God. So, you know, I always say now I, I told my, I I started ballroom dancing recently. I said to my teacher yesterday, I said, like, I honestly should get a t-shirt that says there's nothing a little ballroom dancing in Lexapro won't cure. Because, <laughs> like, literally, the combination is so freaking powerful that I'm in a good mood, like, 90% of the day. I love so, that. Yeah, so I think um, it was a low-grade depression, but nothing, uh, again, crippling. Um, I had parents who weren't horrible. I was going to ask you were, that, yeah. Yeah, they were, they role-modeled self-hate to to themselves, meaning... Like, you know, to sort of not go after what they really wanted, mm-hmm. it was kind of hard to see. And that's how I took it on. I took it on a self-hate that, well, if they hate themselves, I've got to hate myself, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think being a middle child, never feeling like I'm getting enough attention, but now realizing years later that all I did was talk about myself. And I must have been the most annoying friend ever for years. And just <laughs> right. reevaluating, actually asking people what's going on with them. Um, so, yeah. And also, you know, my mother was a rager and a food addict. And my father didn't stand up to her. So I had a uh, feeling like I was never really protected. Mm-hmm. But, you know, now that I'm an adult, I'm like, my, I have a greatest strength now who's like, well, you're 57. You don't need protection anymore. You protect yeah. yourself. And I'm like, holy crap. Yeah. Why well, am I always looking for people to protect me? I get to do it. So, yeah, right. so it was a little hodgepodge of everything. But um, I think with work on myself, it's it's getting better and getting better. Well, you're always improving and get you're such an example to me because you you work so hard on yourself and take action and you're also so giving i mean in in the intro before we started talking i talked about how much you help me and um you know what you do for other people you really are one of the most giving people i know i mean well the thing is you know unfortunately part of that was giving to a fault which means right being the person who will force their advice on you Mm -hmm. whether you want it or not and if you don't let me help, then it's your goddamn problem. <laughs> right. Stay with your shitty life. The thing is, though, like, 
I uh, I just started taping a podcast uh, on Podcast One called Let Lisa Help. And oh, I love that. Yeah, it's literally me forcing my advice on people. <laughs> it's, it's, I have a different celebrity or actor or whatever in, and then I take, I actually take, you're going to love this. I'm, I hope it works out for the best. I am having my actual clients call in and tell me how I could be a better coach, like what I've done wrong. So, Oh, that's interesting. Shrink, I like that. Like, yeah, my shrink's like, oh, great idea. You'll get some feedback. And I'm like, oh, no, I'll get some feedback. <laughs> so, but... The, the giving part is really about it used to be me forcing my will on other people and me going, uh, I don't know how to meet you where you are, so I'm going to just force you to be like me, which isn't good for a lot of friendships. So this is kind of me in this stage of life trying to balance that, too. Yeah, it's very hard because a lot of times I think I have the right, th- you know, I know the answer and whatever. Sure. And it doesn't mean that their answer is... Is my answer. You know, it's it's so sure. crazy to just assume that, that people need well, to do what you're doing. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I always, from the stage, used to say, look at me. I mean, I'll solve any of your problems. Who has a better life than me? I make way more money than you freaking slobs in the audience. <laughs> I got a great dog, a couple of houses, so bring it on. But the fact is, you don't have a better life than them because of those things. You have a better life because you work on yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, meeting people where they are is literally like my effing whole what my years recently have been about because it is so hard to look at somebody and go oh they didn't ask me to have fix them right. oh okay i guess i just kind of let it go and they have their journey that's the thing when we're trying to fix somebody who didn't ask we're robbing them of their journey and oh, that's actually that, incredible it's true yeah. oh it sucks because I remember when my dad was dying, I really, which changed my life a lot into the career change, divorce, everything. Mm-hmm. I really forced my will around that house. You know, I was like, we're getting nurses' aides. You, uh, he wanted to stay home. And I was like, okay, I'll pay for that. But then I, I had him on all no sodium and this and that. And I go, you know, I was trying to control stuff I could, mm-hmm. but it didn't allow him his journey as fully as he might have wanted to. I've forgiven myself for that. I'm sure he has. But isn't it interesting, even in death, we have to let people do what they need to do. I know, but that's so hard. When my stepfather was dying, I wanted, uh, I just would watch things and be like, oh, God, he shouldn't do this. He should do that. It right. was so hard to watch. Oh, yeah. I remember once I was so because my mother was always the yeller in the house. Mm-hmm. And I knew my dad had like six months left and I didn't want her to do any yelling in the house. So I once drove her. Get this. I was so furious with her for how she'd been so angry when we were growing up. I drove her to a nursing home parking lot and she was, well, what are we doing here? And I go, you yell once in that house when daddy's trying to sleep. I will fucking put you in a nursing home right now like it was insane i went home i get it though i get it yeah and i i went home i threw up and i Mm. literally felt like i was play acting the evil daughter just to protect my dad during those last few months and i was like that was like insane but again i thought i was doing the right thing by protecting him it's because nobody protected me as a kid. I feel the same way. And I think sometimes you have to do that stuff to protect. I do. I, I don't think it's so crazy, believe it or not. I really don't. Yeah. No, no. You, you get it. You were it's, protecting it's him. Really, yeah. I just wanted him to have 
you know, the best life. I remember the worst part was I had kept a list of songs that I had thought of my dad during and, you know, or that he had mentioned liking over the years. And I called the priest who was going to do his funeral and I gave the priest the list of songs. Mm -hmm. So this freaking priest goes, well, and of course I'm furious because my father's just had passed away. The priest goes, uh, well, some, most of these are okay. And I freaking pulled the car over Jessica. It was like out of a freaking routine. I go, listen, pal. I go, Nobody listened to my father when he was alive. You're going to fucking listen to him now that he's dead. He's going to play every one of those songs. Not most of them. Every one of those oh. fucking songs is getting played. And he's like, um, well, I need to explain. Edelweiss was a song that they played the Nazis or something about the Nazis. And I go, okay, that one you don't have to play, but the rest of them you got to play. Can you imagine it's the whole soundtrack to Schindler's List? Oh my god, it was so wild because I was like, I will freaking protect my dad up until the end. Lisa, I think beyond. that's beautiful. I, I I'm very much like you that way. That's something I would yeah. do. And it's yeah, yeah. It's just some. How did you deal? Oh God, when did he pass? Um, it was literally five years ago last week. I can't believe it's five is, years already. That is insane. Right. And what was great too was that I have so much he's a painter, so I have so much of his artwork and. I had uh, his college where he took our classes. They set up a gallery with a bunch of his pictures permanently there with a plaque and everything. So I feel he's very honored. I also feel he's around still. And you know what? I've forgiven my mother because my mother's not the one who will say I'm sorry. It's like Fonzie who when Fonzie couldn't say I was wrong, he can't say we're wrong. She can't say sorry. But I now use compassion as a tool for the last five years to get to the point where I'm like, oh, that poor thing, what she must have gone through as a kid or whatever Mm. to make her this way. So I'm able to have this amazing relationship. And I think my father knew who he had to get out of the way for me to have a relationship with her. That's what I really think. That's so interesting because forgiveness is the hardest thing. I mean, but it's crucial. It's crucial. I can't believe I did it with my mother because, you know, she was my greatest fan, but biggest nemesis, like mm-hmm. Springsteen says about his father. And um, But what's great about it, I really think that now that I've learned to forgive someone like that, I mean, your friends, your other family, it's no big deal. Like, mm-hmm. nobody could do worse than a parent or nobody could do better than a parent. No, not at all. Did you pray a lot to forgive her? Like, I feel like... No. Yeah, I mean, I did. I did workshop. Like, I attended workshops on forgiveness. I read books on forgiveness, mm-hmm. and I also did um, just a lot of self work. I'm not a big prayer. Like, I don't even think I know how. Yeah. So I just, I actually bought this book by I think it's Annie Lamont that's called Thanks. What is it? Help, thanks, wow, and it's like those are the three prayers mm-hmm. um, to he- for help to say thank you and to go wow the wonder of the beauty in the world or whatever. So um, I bought that at the time, and I think I just, like, let it heal. And I'd go, she just, I kind of worked on acceptance Mm -hmm. and going, oh, I accept her as she is. She's got bad points, but she's got good points just like I do. And I'm so much like her that I get why, you know, I'm that battle axe sometimes. Yeah, it's so interesting. And forgiving is so freeing. I mean, it's like a huge weight off your shoulders. 
But what's interesting, too, which is even more freeing, and it's terrible, it might sound bad, but right after my father died, like about two weeks later, I was at a, a comedy show, like doing a show, mm-hmm. and the promoter rep came up, and he's like, I'm sorry about your dad, and I go, is it weird that I feel lighter? Mm-hmm. And he goes, you don't know how heavy the burden is until you're not carrying it anymore. Yeah. And I had carried it since I was like five years old, the whole protection of my father. Mm. And um, he said, when he said that, I go, oh, I've been weighed down my whole life with this. So, of course, I can forgive my mother and feel freer and more movement because I'm not my sole purpose in life isn't to protect my father. Right. And again, protect him from what? I don't even know. Just that we were loud, that my mother was loud, that I, he was a gentleman and he had a handkerchief. He mm-hmm. was the type who'd always dress so nice and be a good ballroom dancer. And like, he Aww. was, he seemed too humble and light for our house. Mm-hmm. So what's great is I could kind of go, oh, okay, well, he really didn't need protection. I took that on. So I don't need to do that for other people now. Even people I coach, I'm like, you know what? I can't do this for you. You you got to do it. Like I don't make suggestions. You're mm-hmm. not supposed to advice give. I rarely tell them what to do because they have to figure it out themselves. Just like I should have let my dad figure things out for himself. That is so hard. Have. That is so oh. hard when you care yeah, about someone fine. and you know the things they can do. I mean, I think people feel like that with me. You know, they know the things I can do to feel better, and it's torture for them to watch it because they care about me. Well, what's interesting, I think they know the things they can do to feel better. Mm -hmm. They can only hazard a guess, which is for you, which is why I tell people in my workshops, I always go, listen, there's no crosstalk, and I'll tell you why. It's because that person needs to discover it on their own. Mm -hmm. But at the break, if you have a suggestion, you can pose it as, you know what, this helped me when I was working on that struggle. Maybe it'll help you. Do you want to hear it? And by the way, it's up mm-hmm. to the person who's being asked that. It's up to them to be non-codependent and say, no, I don't want to hear that or I do. Right. So they, we only know what works for us, you know, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I could write you a prescription out for 20 things, but you could be like, yeah, but none of them is me. Were your that's so true. I mean, were your siblings as protective of him as you were, or did you take really were the one that took on that role? Um, I took it on. Yeah, I, I, yeah. It, my brother's much more, I think, emotionally healthy than us because I think because he left for college when he was eighteen and he went so far away that, and then he got married to someone from that area. Mm-hmm. I think he was able to start a life and be more detached in a healthy way that kids are supposed to Mm -hmm. me and my sister as the women we stayed more enmeshed with everything right I totally understand that yeah did you guys argue a lot or did you get along because my sister and I argued constantly because we took out a lot of anger on each other it's horrible sure I think well also when you have three it's weird Mm because me and my brother were more we were both blonde. It was like we were the two Hitler youths in the Italian family. <laughs> and so we were like the ones, and my sister was dark-haired, older. Mm-hmm. The oldest always gets the shaft because they are kind of like this self-imposed mother figure. Yes. So I think it was always me and my brother against my sister, which feels terrible now. But you go, well, i got to forgive myself because I was a kid. What did I know? 
Of so, course. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting to just go, it's okay, Alicia. You really didn't do anything terribly wrong. You just were kind of trying to survive in a household. Yeah, I love your whole thing because it just sounds to me like you're just, it's like self-care and you're, you're taking care of that. You know, people laugh at this stuff, but it's so true, that inner child. It, it's, I did, oh, totally. oh my God, it's so uncomfortable. Well, I, it, but I also started to notice too, when my six-year-old and my nine-year-old is acting up, because my shrink has, like you said, it sounds so queer, like she has an aversion to the word inner child, mm-hmm. but it really is your child who's acting out. Right. So if I like say to somebody, you're dead to me, that's like the nine-year-old. And really, like, can't we just have a discussion, you know? Yeah. So I try to go, when is my six-year-old or nine-year-old getting kicked up? And recently I had a falling out with someone and I asked them to get together. And I said, look, you didn't know this, but when you didn't stick up for me, it kicked up my six-year-old and it's not your job to fix that six-year-old. And it's not your job to you know, protect that six-year-old. And he said, oh, my God, I totally get it. When I didn't take your side, now that I think about it, it kicked up my childhood self because I couldn't protect you. Mommy or daddy used to want it. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, wow. And so when you're going to have a discussion with somebody like that, then you know you're kind of like at least have an understanding and you're maybe meant to be friends again. Yes. Oh, this is so – I like. I feel even emotional listening to you say that because it's really – True. And a lot of people don't look at that stuff that, you know, like being in a relationship, you know, yeah. people kick stuff up like and it's my stuff from my childhood. But it sure. so much reminds me of something my mother or my father would say or how I felt. I really relate to that a lot. Yeah, it, it's so until my shrink started putting it that way. I was like, oh, wow, I thought I was reacting as Lisa. No, mm-hmm. I'm reacting as little Lisa. And that's that's not this adult friend's job to deal with that little bitch so I was like okay I'm just gonna talk to them and be like I'm sorry I did that I'm sorry I acted like that um but I also think I had a different friendship that I had had a fight with and I told the guy what you know what I just told you hey you know you had kicked up my six-year-old I felt unsafe and he goes well, sorry, that's just me. Yeah. And I was like, well, this relationship isn't going to be a friendship, I guess, because right. if someone's just, it's that, that's just me, that's not going to work. Well, it's it's not. So, it's not. But, and that's okay. Those people just are around for a little while, and, you know, we learn from them. So it's cool. Yeah, I mean, I just tell people, if you're looking to find a mate, one of the most, even if nothing changes, they have to be willing to work on stuff, or it's not going to work. No, I don't even understand how it could possibly work. I just still don't understand how anyone has a relationship or is married because yeah, it's I really... find that totally vulnerable and too difficult. So I am working on myself so much so that someday, if it's supposed to happen, it will. I just don't want to have be the person who has blocks up or mm-hmm. is taking out their childhood stuff on a mate. And you know what? Of course, it's bound to happen, but I don't want to make it the be-all and end-all of the relationship. I, I Totally. And you would need to find someone who's at that level. That's the hard part. Right. You need and, to find someone who's evolved. Well, what the good thing is, is when you're not lonely and when you're not driven out of lack, mm-hmm. then you don't care if it comes along or not. So right. The great thing is going, wow, I wouldn't change my life now unless it was for the best. 
like a job opportunity or a mate or another friendship. So being content is really, really valuable because you don't look for anything. Yeah, that's so true. It really I'm jealous of you because um, <laughs> you have what I want. You know, your yeah. peace and serenity and the the fact that you work so hard on being okay and that you feel like you deserve happiness. You know, I yeah, really am I not it. there at all. Well, I also think you're younger than me. I also don't think you've been in the game as long as me. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, you're, you're what? Are you, in, are you 40 yet? Oh, my God, Lisa, you're so funny. I love you. That's very sweet. I'm going to be 50. I'm going to be 50 in November. Yeah. So, you know, you, I always say to people, like, look, I didn't dawn on all this stuff until I was, like, 55. Now that I'm going to be 58, I'm like, wow, okay, everything's right on track. And remember, mm-hmm. you can't be behind in your own life. So you're in your life, and you're supposed to be exactly where you are. Don't try to work faster or slower. Just keep consistent, and then it's going to always work out. Because we got to learn a lot of crap. Mm-hmm. And, hey, I'm still learning stuff. Last week I was being coached, and I was like, I don't want to do anything. Why can't I just it and do nothing and they're like why do you think you can't right you know because I was like I was so driven by achieving for so long that it feels really weird to want to do nothing and I my know. coach was like I don't know why you can't do that but you admired that your father could paint and just read and sit there and look at the view that's an image that you at least can relate to and if you want to do nothing take some time and do nothing so I'm like, oh, okay, but see how we're, don't worry, it's all, we're all still working on everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I tell people all the time that you were so inspiring to me as a comedian, like, if you, because a lot of comics will listen to this, um, do you, what do you think is like, what are the most important things as a performer? Like, how did you get, besides being brilliantly funny, I mean, I, I would watch you and be like vomiting, I was laughing so hard. But besides all that, because you know people can be really funny and absolutely go nowhere, obviously. Right. So what right. do you, what did you do to get to that? Like, what can we, what can we all learn from you? How did you get so successful as a comedian? I think my onstage persona mm-hmm. cracked me up, and I got a kick out of me using that ten percent of my personality that that actually was. Mm-hmm. So. I always thought it was fun. I always tickled myself. Mm-hmm. I always thought I was the person you want to hang out with. Would I? Was I um, the most original or brilliant or whatever? No, I wasn't clever. I didn't try too hard. On stage, it didn't look like I tried at all. Right. So on stage, you got to make it look effortless, but just have the skills and you know hone it. But I think off stage, I was just never satisfied. And yeah. that's the problem with being a performer because it makes you a crappy person. I know, and Lisa, I know. It's, it's, it's almost like I neglected everything else because I was trying to fill the hole with achievement. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be a success at anything, you've got to do the unhealthy, unbalanced, fill the hole with achievement thing for a while and then get to the point where you can do what I'm doing, which is going, I don't want to do anything. And I'm thank God I'm happy and peaceful and mm-hmm. have some serenity in my life. But if you're content and want a wife and kids and have a great balanced life and go on vacations and do this and that, which is a far better move, mm-hmm. then you have to let go of any results 
of being successful and just say, if it's meant to happen, it will. So every comic out there going, I want to be famous, it's like there's a huge price for it because Mm -hmm. it is hard to take away from friends and family. And if you can balance all of those, the better. But I say always, too, in order to get that balance and live a normal life, which I didn't have, I just had that unbalanced life, Mm -hmm. get therapy so you're forced to have some balance. Stop drinking. Stop doing drugs. Don't be a pothead. I yeah. mean, I hate that that pot. You know, it's so stupid. It's evil. Like, well, pot is oh, evil. Like, I, I People laugh so, when I say that, but it really, it's the one that's brought me down more than anything. Because yeah, I it, can just stop it. If you need an addiction, I mean, hey, Jessica and I did fine when we were eating ourselves to death. We got famous. <laughs> you get and then you can quit comedy. See how perfect life is? Yeah, but I also I was always in prep to this day, obviously, with your work ethic. I mean, did you wake up and, like, what would a typical day, what's a typical day like for you? Because what I'm saying is, is, like, there's so many comics who are funny. You know, we know so many people, like, at the cell or whatever, and they're hysterical, but their work ethic is horrible. Yeah, no, at- I would wake up obsessed. Right. You know, and I'm not saying it was good. It mm-hmm. made for a successful career. But, you know, with the like, like the Larry the Cable Guy was the great example of someone who before there was syndicated radio or even, you know, serious satellite radio would call into like eight shows a morning or 20 shows a morning. Wow. And just like beat, 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 uh, beat the bushes for fans. So we just have to call and drive everywhere. And mm-hmm. when you couldn't afford the hotel, you'd have to drive to Florida without. And we didn't feel entitled. Like, we didn't yeah. think we were so freaking clever that we deserved anything. Like, I was either mm-hmm. at the, I think a lot of people are brought up by parents who love them too much, but to a detriment. Yep. They don't, they love them, they, they don't love them enough to let them fail. So some people go, well, why don't I have a, TV show by the time I'm 25 or why don't I have a TV show by the time I'm 40 because you, you don't deserve it yet I and I you're completely gonna, agree you're going to get what you deserve right don't worry about it but well, it's also here it is letting go of the results but still doing 18 hours a day of work that's hard very but it's what you have to do yeah, it is. And I I so understand what you're saying because I, I was telling people the other day, I'm like, when I started out, I was like a little geisha girl. Like, I'd be like, thank you so much. Thank you. Like, you were my idol, you know, Judy Gold, like people who've been doing it before me. I was so, like, nervous around you guys. It's very different now. It is. Vi- I'm telling you, these girls, Lisa, they're starting out and they literally don't even. Some of them talk to me like I'm an open micer. It's the craziest thing. I, well, I'm, again, again, it's it's really funny because everyone's famous on Instagram and YouTube. I know. And honestly, check it out. If I was lucky enough to have been born later, mm-hmm. I probably would be taking full advantage of that crap, too. So I don't put them down for it. But there's nothing that replaces stage time and yes. writing and writing groups and just acting classes and being prepared. So I was just obsessed. I think a way happier life is just to not do comedy. <laughs> <laughs> no, Lisa, I know I'm in such a bind because not even not even you, but just yeah. Like, how could you better your comedy lifestyle to make you not dread it? That's the question. That's it's a great point. 
because they have to, I mean, it's a very simple coaching tool. I almost feel it's so 101, but so you're way above this, but you know, there's this three B's. It's like, okay, you take the task you want to do least and you go, you either bag it, barter it or better it. So can you bag comedy? Yes. But if you don't want to yet, or you don't have enough money saved, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to have to better it or I'm going to have to barter it. You can't barter it because no one's going to stand up there and do it for you. So it's just like a breast exam. You have to go through that hell yourself. Right. So now you've got to better it. So what does that mean? Whether it means paying an opener way too much money and you taking less just to have the comfort. Um, Yes. You know, treating yourself the best freaking hotel room and room service every freaking day. Getting clothes you love doing way less spots in the city because why the F are you doing those anyway? Well, you're way above it. Um, Mm -hmm. Asking for more money, uh, taking your kids, taking only resorts and cruises where you can have fun. So in other words, I'm saying these aren't suggestions. No, I get it. We can better things and achieve what we want to, even if we can't quit it. Yes. I think some people stay in the situation they are in so that because it's an it's an excuse, you know, it's a way to not move forward. And it's it's a story. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Life is harder. And that, look at how hard I have it. Right. They like to be like, oh, you know, no, no, but I struggle. No, 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 but I struggle. Um, Hey, bitch, I'm a Hurricane Katrina victim. Shut the fuck up, comic. <laughs> I know. I, when I hear people complain, you know I have a child with heart disease. So, oh, no. Yeah, I do. I, ha- <clears throat> I mean, my three-and-a-half-year-old Isabella has had three open-heart surgeries and a stent. It's crazy. And I've been through hell, like in children's hospitals and look, seeing sick kids and, you know, having to bring her down to an operating room. It's horrible. So when I hear oh, people God. like, oh, I can't get past it, stand up New York, I'm like, um, I get it, but like... It could be a lot where I don't, I don't know. I just well, no. That's where that's where gratitude really helps. Yeah, because they can switch that to gratitude, and you know, wow, thank God I don't have a sick kid. I'm so lucky. right. Also, also some gratitude and compassion. Compassion could help you a lot because you just go. I remember when that was my biggest worry and fear, and it did feel debilitating. So that's where compassion comes in. Where you go, you put aside your kid and your issues and you go, oh, my God, I remember being like them. That's how it worked with my mother. Like, you know what I mean? Just yes. Like, oh, that there. helped me with my father to think about his childhood. It yep. definitely helped me a lot. Yeah. See, that's interesting because we all can relate to their struggles and go, oh, boy, if that had happened to me, I would be devastated, too. Right. Like, nobody complaining about not getting past at a comedy club is thinking about your kid and that you have it worse because they're self-centered, and I don't blame them. I get it. You know, mm-hmm. we're performers. That's how we are. But it doesn't, and it doesn't make it right. Instead of saying it could be much worse to them, it's almost like you say you're in exactly the place you're supposed to be right now, and inside you're thinking, shut the fuck up. Not no, but I agree with you. Problem. Yeah, I do understand, yeah. and I think it all comes down to being more compassionate and being grateful. I think being grateful is the most, for me, it's the most important well, thing. Well, it's huge, and they always say that compassion and gratitude are the abracadabras. They really literally yep. fix 98% of your problems because you just get into a totally different mindset, and it, it doesn't, gratitude and uh, 
resentment can't coexist. So if you are grateful, the resentment just leaves. That's exactly, that's literally what's happened to me every single time. Yeah. And, and the resentment is a killer. It's, it's the killer. You, you, nobody, nobody can do it but you. That's the I know. part. It's like, oh, man, I used to try to read every book and do this and do that. And I'm like, yeah, until I put in the actual hours and time, I could be doing much better. I could have solved all this when I was 40 or 30. But it wasn't time, I guess. And I got to just let that go. Yeah, you, I, me too. I, I totally understand. That's why I said in the beginning, it's action. Like action is, because I, I can talk about something for years, but it's all about well, taking action. What do you talk about that you don't get done? Oh, I'm just, you know, stuck on this whole story that I'm miserable. I'm depressed. I mean, honestly, Lisa, I could go down to the fucking gym and make a call and do things and I always feel better. I mean, it's really ridiculous. You know, I keep yeah, myself stuck. Yeah, like I said to my... um my teacher yesterday, my dance teacher, I said, do a lot of people come in here in a bad mood? And he goes, yep, and they always leave in a great one. And I never understood that because I was never a physical person. I never did the gym and stuff and mm-hmm. never got it. This is the first thing I've ever found that kind of cures depression instantly is just getting, because you have to be in your, uh, you can't be in your head when you're doing exactly. it. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And people also think, like, self-care is the most overused hashtag in the world. I wanted to shoot everybody who does hashtag self-care. Mm-hmm. The fact is, self-care could be as little as, you know, I have a disabled friend who goes out on her patio for five minutes to just feel the fresh air. Yes. And that's self-care. So everybody thinks self-care is a massage or an hour no. at the gym or an hour with my yoga. Oh, suck my dick yoga. I know. So it's just like, stop it. You can take those little moments. So that's what I just advise people to just don't feel like you're failing at self-care because you're not doing it like everybody else does. Exactly. I so relate to that. I completely agree. I, I want you to talk just before we go, uh, tell people sure. about your play, like where, you know, what's going on, how people get in touch with you and about the podcast again. Yes, yes. Uh, my podcast, Let Lisa Help, is going to be starting every week, and it will be, uh, I think, podcastone.com uh, or Apple Podcasts, mm-hmm. and it's me forcing my help on unsuspecting guests. <laughs> uh, you can also find me at lisalampanelli.com, which has all my workshops. I'm doing a big food and body image workshop at Kripalu. In oh, Wales. my God, Lisa, yeah. I'm not kidding. I might go to that. I, oh my God, love, I love, love that. It. Yeah. It's it's just such a magical place. And yes. then I do other workshops and a storytelling show called Fat Chance, doing it up in P-Town and doing another storytelling show called Losing It. Obviously, they're all about weight and food issues because it seems to be my lot in life to make people feel better about mm-hmm. their fat selves. <laughs> I, you're amazing. <laughs> I love you so much and appreciate you so much. And you've always been just there for me and so loving. And I... I am so impressed with you and like that you've just always worked on yourself and taken action and just try to always be a better person. It's very inspiring. Well, and I'll tell you, I love you. I think as a human being, you're top shelf. I also think you deserve a lot of good in your life. Thank you. And I also think you deserve to beat up on yourself less. And the last thing is whenever I talk about my two favorite comics, you're definitely like in the top five. Oh, thank you. so. You're 11, but thank you so much. (laughs) No, I always say my two favorite comics are Jessica Kirsten and uh, Brad Williams. That's a huge compliment from you, Lisa. I mean that. Dude, how how many do they 
I would ever go to a comedy club to see anyone. I know. I go to went and saw you, and I love you, dude, with all my heart. I love you so much, and I'm going to go to Kripalu. I swear I'm going to take my mother and go, and we're going to go take your workshop. I would love to meet that Yenta. <laughs> I love you so much. Thank you again for doing this. Of course. God bless, dude. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye.